0: Well, let's take our Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter number 3, Ephesians chapter number 3. This is part 2 of our series entitled, The Edge Pieces of Dispensational Salvation. Now, it seems like it's been two weeks since we talked about this. Oh, wait, it has been two weeks. But uh, I sure hated to miss uh, last week our anniversary service, but uh, I sure did enjoy the live stream and all of the testimonies and just the memories about Temple, uh, thinking and, uh, and hearing about Brother Wilson, Brother Pennell, and their families, and the, the just the beginning of Temple Baptist Church. So many memories, so many victories that God has given. And you know, the, the church, uh, every church goes through some ups and downs and some troubled times, but praise the Lord, uh, God has been faithful And I sure enjoyed all of the testimonies. We had some more testimonies Wednesday night. I just felt like that—that that is what we needed to focus on, being grateful and thankful for what God has given us here as a Bible-believing church here in 2020, right here in Statesville. And you know, there's a lot of other good churches around. Certainly uh, don't want to diminish from that. But uh, I tell you what, in my opinion, this is a very special church that has, uh, it began with the foundation of the authority of this book right here on this pulpit. And uh, that has continued, and by the grace of God, will always be the case until the trumpet sounds. All right, edge pieces of dispensational salvation. I, I told you last week... That putting together, rightly dividing the word of truth is a lot like putting together a picture with different puzzle pieces. And God gives us those verses and those phrases and those words throughout the scripture. And to rightly divide it, just like when we put together a puzzle, sometimes you have to separate pieces of puzzle that go together and then figure out how they all fit together. And the first thing that most people always do is to get the edge pieces, because once you get the edge pieces where they belong, then the rest of the Bible, I wouldn't say that it becomes easy, but it certainly uh, it certainly makes it easier as we study and labor in doctrine to figure out how all the Bible is put together. And I'm glad that uh, we can study it for ourselves. You know there are too many Protestant denominations that basically uh, the denomination tells you this is what we believe, and if you're going to be part of that, then you, you have to believe what they believe. I'm, I'm glad that we have the Word of God for ourselves, and we have the Holy Spirit of God. And I have observed this: if you put a hundred people in the same room that all believe this book as the final authority and they're not looking outside of that, and they start studying it and start comparing notes, you're going to have so much unity. They're not going to see everything identical, but on the things that really matter, folks, most of it's crystal clear. And uh, as we put together everything that's crystal clear, the things that are a little bit maybe obscure, then we figure out where to prioritize those. And certainly there's room for disagreement, but uh, on the major doctrines, God makes those so clear that if we believe the Bible as the final authority, uh, then we don't have to struggle. You know, unity that is cried out today, among not only in America as a nation, but particularly among religious America, basically what they say is, let's just throw doctrine out so that we can get along and have unity. Folks, unity is not dependent upon compromise or sticking our head in the sand and ignoring things. Bible doctrine is the source of unity. And contrary to what many people say, that doctrine divides. Well, it does, but you know what? There is such a thing as absolute truth. And um, I'm not going to say that I've got it all figured out, because I don't. But I will say this, if something is right and true... We don't have to apologize for believing something that's right and true. You know, the, the side that's crying for unity, uh, they say, well, just, you know, you need to quit having those strong stands and, and come and be part of us. Why don't they ever adopt a strong stand so that they can unify with us? You ever notice the liberals want the conservatives to compromise, but they don't ever compromise their viewpoint. So, I mean, sometimes you just gotta look at that and say, ah, something, something just doesn't sound right. And so, anyhow, that's my first sermon. The Edge Pieces of Dispensational Salvation. Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 1. Paul says, For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard, watch this, "...of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word." Paul's saying, the dispensation of the grace of God was given to me. Paul is speaking personally. It was given to him as an individual to turn around and give it to the church. And so the dispensation of the grace of God appears right here in black and white. And remember that when you see this phrase, the dispensation of the grace of God... It is more than just a title. Uh, You know, we have charts, and we have systematic theology, and we try to divide up the dispensations and put everything in its nice little category, and sometimes you can do that, and sometimes there are things that kind of... I've seen God in His Word uh, totally violate dispensational lines. And you study the life of Jesus. Jesus certainly promoted a dispensational right division of the Scripture, but he as the author, sometimes he um, he didn't necessarily um, always stay away from the lines. He, he, he did what he wanted to do because he's the author of this book right here. And, you know, the the Pharisees had a hard time with that. They had the Sabbath and what you can do and can't do on the Sabbath. They had it all figured out. Well, Jesus was the author, and he knew what was legal and what was illegal. And he didn't care about man's traditions and what man had added to the Word of God. He knew exactly what he meant. He never broke the Sabbath. He never broke the law. That would be sin. But he knew exactly, and he didn't care... Uh, He didn't care to violate somebody's dispensational lines. And so we see here that this dispensation, it's an adjective. Dispensation means the way that God deals with people in a particular time period. And so God dispensed the gospel of the grace of God to the apostle Paul. And he gave Paul the, uh, uh, the objective to turn around and dispense it to the Gentile church. Look at verse number 3 with me. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Paul didn't learn this from the other apostles. Paul got saved later on. He, He wasn't one of the disciples that followed Jesus around. He got saved later. But God pulled Paul aside and revealed to him the church age. Now, my personal belief on this is that you take the other apostles when jesus sent them out preaching he sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom and while certainly the gospel of the kingdom is a uh, is a post uh, resurrection teaching uh, there's it's a different message israel and the kingdom we'll see a little bit of that here in just a few minutes but they were going to they had something revealed to them that was different once the Jew rejected their Messiah, they rejected the message of the kingdom, and so God says, "All right, I'm going to plan b." I know some people don't like it when I call it God's Plan B. Read Romans eleven, and whatever you call it is not the issue. The bottom line is is that God at one point. He got fed up with Israel, and he said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and that's going to be to provoke Israel to, to jealousy. Now, if you, if you went to public high school, you know that, that that game between boys and girls and making them jealous, that's not necessarily a flattering thing. Who wants to be uh, asked out on a date by some guy just so that he can make some other girl jealous? Nobody wants that. And so people think, well, I'm part of the church. A- a- and here's the sad thing. The American Christian, we've, we've been so accustomed to Christianity that we forget where we came from. And in many ways, like Romans 11 says, we've become high-minded. And so many believers today think that this entire book is about me and my salvation. I've got news for you. We are just a side note here. Not flattering, certainly doesn't puff up our ego, but like I've said many, many times before, it sure is better than hell. Amen? Amen. Hey, we're not Israel, we're not God's chosen nation, but praise the Lord when Jesus came to his own, John 1 11, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Thank God that God came and turned the message over to the Gentiles, and the apostle Paul was Not only pivotal in that, that message was specifically revealed to the Apostle Paul. Verse number four, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, I want you to watch closely here, and I'm trying to watch my time and and get everything covered that I need to this morning. But verse number five, he says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this message that was not revealed? It was the message of the mystery of Jesus Christ. And so it had been hidden. And we're going to see a few more verses here. In just actually, let's go ahead and look at some of these verses. Romans 16, I'll show you this on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible if you'd like to. But Romans 16 and verse 25 through 26 makes it clear that this message was hidden prior to God revealing it to the Apostle Paul. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, notice Paul refers to it as his gospel, it's possessive, it's personal to him, and the preaching of Jesus Christ... According to the revelation of the mystery, watch this, which was kept secret since the world began. Now, wait a minute, preacher. I thought that people in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the cross. I thought that we're saved by looking back and seeing Jesus, and they're saved by looking forward. Well, the Scripture makes it clear that this message was hidden Now listen, once Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the Holy Spirit opened up to the prophets and to the apostles many scriptures that were hidden prior. Isaiah 53, hey, to the Jew, to the Pharisees specifically, they didn't understand Isaiah 53. They thought it was talking about them. But once Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day, the Holy Spirit started opening up all kinds of Old Testament passages of Scripture that previously were hidden. And then he goes on to say in verse 26, But now is made manifest, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Uh, Look also at Colossians 1. Verse 25 through 27, Paul says a similar thing to these Christians. He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, there it is again, God dispensed this to Paul, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints." to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, the Old Testament saint did not have Christ in them. As Gentiles who were once considered dogs, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, we were on the outside looking in, and according to the New Testament, we were without hope in this world. But God, who is rich in his mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, what did he do? He opened up the message of the cross of Calvary to us lost Gentiles. And we get saved. And when we get saved, we get something that was not even thought about in times past. We actually get the creator of the universe, the Savior who died on the cross, living inside of us. Christ In you, the hope of glory. That's something, I've got to be honest with you, we all take that truth for granted. We think, oh, I'm having a bad day, or just it's so rough, you know, living today, and this and that, and we forget the fact that we've got something that no other people in thousands and thousands of years could even imagine that we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, actually living inside of us what a joy and what a blessing hey we don't have to go to an earthly priest to make a connection between us and god we've got the creator living inside boy don't ever don't ever let that become complacent uh, always remember to be thankful and grateful now look at verse number 6 it says that the gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember the times when Jesus would tell the disciples, don't go to the Gentiles; just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember when the Canaanite woman came to the Lord and said, "Lord, uh, would you would you heal? Uh, would would you do this for me?" And the Lord said, "It's not meat to take the children's; it's not acceptable to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs." Boy, can you imagine the politically correct media? The, the heyday and field day that they would have with the Lord Jesus today. I mean, he basically said, you're not the right nationality. I can't help you. I'm not going to take the children's bread and to give it to a dog. And you know what? She didn't go and start protesting. You know what she did? She bowed her head and she said, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And you know what? The Lord healed. The Lord answered her prayer and did for her what she desired. Why? Because she humbled herself. And that is so lacking in America today. Just that humility. Look, we do not deserve anything. We don't have rights. We have privileges And we have the privilege to serve the Lord and to follow Jesus Christ. And, you know, while we are able to have free speech and freedom of religion, let's enjoy it and let's take advantage of it and let's do everything we can to do what the Apostle Paul would do today. And that is to get this mystery, this gospel of salvation to every lost sinner that we possibly can get the message to. And he says in verse number 9, "...to make all men see..." What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ? Father, we pray now that you'd bless the rest of our time that we have this morning. We've already seen some wonderful truths, but Lord, as we complete this message and uh, continue on these edge pieces of dispensational truth, I pray, Father, that you would uh, make the Word of God just come alive to our hearts and minds and help us to see Not only what you've done, but what you're doing, and uh, help us, Father, to look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. By quick way of review, last uh, two weeks ago we talked about several different edge pieces of this puzzle. We talked about the dispensation of innocence, and that would be the time period of the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the fruit Uh, "...of the tree that is in the midst of the garden thou mayest not eat thereof, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die." And of course, uh, Adam and Eve. um, Eve was deceived. She gave fruit to Adam. Adam did it willingly. And because of that, the innocence was gone and, um, and mankind as a race plummeted into a sinful and needy condition." And then the next dispensation is the dispensation that we call of conscience. Man is basically living by conscience. That conscience is, I'm sure, affected by the truth that has been handed down from Adam to generation. Keep in mind, Adam lived uh, to be over 900 years old. And uh, even even when the flood came some 2,000 years later... Uh, keep in mind that um, Adam hadn't been gone that long, when, um, and he certainly knew Noah's grandparents. So what God had revealed to Adam, that was passed down. You find where men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You find where men begin to uh, offer sacrifices to God. But all of this, they don't have the Scripture. They don't have the Ten Commandments. They don't have a specific message. They're basically trying to follow God by what has been revealed in their conscience. Within that time period, you have human government after the flood that God institutes, and with that, you have capital punishment. And uh, uh, listen, I believe in capital punishment, and I'm not cruel in saying that. Uh, I am just being a Bible-believing Christian. I believe that God knows what's best for our culture and um i i believe that it is it is not compassionate toward the victims to um to not have capital punishment and so anyhow i don't i don't have time to get into that but then you also have next you have the dispensation of the patriarchs uh genesis 12 god calls abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he said, I want you to go to a land that I'll tell you of, you've never been there before. Abraham had a little detours along the way, but he finally ultimately ended up in Canaan land, and God began to bless him in his old age. God gave him a son, Isaac, and um, Isaac uh, had Jacob and Esau, Jacob had the 12 patriarchs, and so God began to deal with man based on those patriarchs. And then um, some 400 years after that, God uh, brings the descendants of the patriarchs, Israel, out of Egypt by um, by their leader Moses, and God reveals the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the Levitical laws, the ceremonial laws, all through Moses to the nation of Israel. And we talked uh, a little bit about that uh, two weeks ago. Now, I want to go into the next part of this study is I want to talk to you about some contrasts of law and grace. John one seventeen says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We find a contrast here. Now, here's what's interesting. Does that mean that there was no grace in the Old Testament? Well, absolutely not. In the Old Testament part of Scripture, you find that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. I find that King David committed adultery and murder, which are both, according to the law, punishable by death. And what did God say? God say, it said, I've put away your sin. David confessed it, and he asked for God's forgiveness, and God showed grace to David. So yes, there was grace under the law. Uh, Is this saying that there was no truth under the law? Absolutely not. The law is absolutely true. In fact, the Old Testament part of Scripture is 100% true and accurate. So the Lord is not showing us that there was no grace and truth Prior to Jesus Christ, he's simply making this contrast that when it comes to grace and truth, I look at it this way. It's like the Lord saying, Yeah, there was grace and truth, but you ain't seen nothing yet. In comparison to the grace and truth that is under the gospel of Jesus Christ, really there is no comparison with the law. Now take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. Now, by the way, Romans chapter number 10, if you, if you want to know how to be saved, Romans 10 will just make it crystal clear. What do I do? Well, Romans 10 will tell you just exactly what you need to do to be saved. But in the first part of the chapter, Paul says this in verse number 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them a record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, when I read that, I think about people that are religious. I know people, I've known people that are very devout religious people. I mean, they worship, they go to church, uh, they're good people, good neighbors and so forth, Uh, The Jews, in many ways, had a zeal of God. They were extremely religious. But Paul says, not according to knowledge. They've got all the things that look religiously good to man, but they're not the qualities that look good in the eyes of God. He goes on to explain in verse number 3, "...for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now watch verse number 4. We're contrasting law and grace. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now we can draw a conclusion that prior to Christ, then the law certainly played a part in a man's righteousness. And so Christ now has ended the law for righteousness, so thus we have a huge contrast between law and grace. The next part I want to talk about this morning is the transition from law to grace in the Gospels. Now, you would think that when we start in the book of Matthew, that everything we read in the New Testament would have to be doctrinally applicable to you and I in the church because we're in the New Testament, right? Well, you got to be real careful with that because that statement is not true. There are many things in the Gospels that are not doctrinally applicable to you and I. Now, I don't have this on the screen, but I'll give you an example. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, "...but they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved." Boy, that, that verse of Scripture has thrown a lot of people uh, into a tailspin thinking that they have to hang on to their salvation or they have to earn it or keep it. And the fact of the matter is, is that that is not doctrinally talking to us. So let's take a look at some of these, uh, these contrasts and transition from law to grace in the gospel. Turn to Matthew, did I ask you to turn to Matthew 19? All right, I'm asking you now. Matthew 19, by the way, it's good, to, there's a, a look out in the congregation this morning, I see some folks I haven't seen in a while, and just want you to know what a joy it is to see you, and uh, we've missed you, and glad that you're able to be here today. Matthew 19 and verse number 16, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will... You know, by the way, Jesus isn't saying that he wasn't good. He was just... I think what he was saying to this rich young ruler that you don't even know who you're talking to. You're, you're calling me good and you don't even know who I am. If he would have known who he was, then he wouldn't have had to say good master because he would have recognized that Jesus is the Son of God. He wouldn't have had to have said it. It would be, I mean, it would be presumed that Jesus is good. He said, but if thou wilt enter into life, look forward to the cross. Is that what he says? You know, I, because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, you'd think he'd say, well, look, and by the way, that traditional theology of looking forward to the cross I mean, you, you can't take the Old Testament and put yourself in that time period and lead somebody to the Lord with the Scriptures. Because, it. I mean, it's a, a very general, um, vague statement, but it's certainly hard to put into substance if you're actually living in the Old Testament time period. So what did Jesus say? He said, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which? <laughs> wouldn't you Wouldn't you kind of think the same thing? It's like, wow, that's a lot. Which ones, he says. And uh, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So Jesus doesn't give him all ten he he leaves some of them out very conspicuously the young man saith unto him all these things have i kept from my youth up what lack i yet jesus said unto him if thou wilt be perfect go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and when that and then thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me but when the young man heard that saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, if you suspect for a moment that perhaps maybe Jesus is just patronizing this young man and trying to trick him with some kind of a sales pitch and trick him in his words, then I want you to consider what Mark's gospel records of this very same event. In Mark ten twenty one, it says, and Jesus beholding him loved him. Why did Jesus love him? Because here's a young man who, at least these five commandments, he said, I've kept these from my youth up. Hey, by the way, young people, one of these was, he said, I've honored my father and mother from my youth up. How about that? He said, there's not, not a single blemish on my record where I dishonored my father and mother. He did all of these things, and Jesus looked at that, and that's pretty impressive pedigree. I couldn't say, I I can't even come close to this rich young ruler. And it says that Jesus loved him. But I want you to notice that Jesus conspicuously left out, thou shalt not covet. But even greater than that is he left out commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Obviously, here when Jesus... Now, is Jesus saying to you and I that the only way that we can have eternal life is to go sell all our possessions and follow Jesus? No, He's not saying that. But Jesus said it to this man. And if this man truly had faith and trust and God was first in his life and he had no other gods, then he'd just say, okay, no big deal, no problemo. And he'd go sell it all and he'd go follow Jesus. But the commandments that were left out, I believe Jesus, knowing this young man's heart, he left them out intentionally to try to get this man to see what he needed to see. And by the way, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It doesn't, we don't have eternal life through the law, but the law certainly will manifest and show us our need. Here's a man that was practically perfect in his horizontal dealings, but he was extremely deficient with his vertical dealings. His eyes were on man. And isn't that what modern Christianity in America is all about? The Beatitudes and the 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 good deeds, and it, you know, just this past week, um, a, a wicked liberal politician tried to quote the Bible to defend her point of view, and it was embarrassing. It's like, if you don't know the Bible, then just be quiet. I, you know, if if I weren't in the South, I would say, shut up, but I'm not, I'm in the South, so I can't say, shut up. Wait, I just said it, didn't I? I just wish that these liberal proponents of abortion, proponents of same-sex marriage that are all morally considered abomination to God, and I'm not talking about the God of the Old Testament, I'm talking about the God who never changes. Same God. Some of these politicians claiming to be Christian And not only have they voted for these immoral things, but I'll give you an example. Um, Whether it's going to be our next president and vice president, both of them have performed same-sex marriages. Hey, it's one thing to say, well, I'm just not going to get involved, but to perform that, that is... As big of an endorsement as there can be. I wonder how many Christians voted in favor of that because the other alternative, the guy just wasn't very nice. I don't know, brother. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that's clear. Jesus did not say anything to this rich young ruler about looking forward to the cross. And I'd also like to remind you that when Jesus started talking about the cross, remember how perplexed and argumentative His disciples were? Hey, these were His followers. These were the ones to whom His heavenly Father revealed to them that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet, when he started talking about his death, Peter said, far be it from thee, O Lord. I mean, they had a hard time. Even after the resurrection or, or, or after the death of Jesus, they're still walking around and trying to figure out, oh, he's gone. And all of these things about the death, burial, and resurrection, they didn't sink in until afterward. So certainly, they weren't looking forward to something that was hidden And kept secret. Alright, the last thing that I want us to look at this morning is the contrast of the Gospel of John with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you're a Bible student, then you know that the term kingdom appears in the Gospels. But I want you to know that the term kingdom appears only three times in the book of John. Two of those times, it's referring to the kingdom of God. And the other time, it appears right here in John 18, verse number 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Notice the term but now. Jesus is saying that right now, my kingdom's not of this world. He is not saying that his kingdom will never be of this world. You read Revelation 19 and verse number 11, and uh, John said, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness shall he judge and make war. And then it goes on to say how that when Jesus returns on that white horse, he is ultimately going to sit down on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem and rule and reign with a rod of iron. The king and the kingdom. And boy, that's going to be a great time. I guess if you like democracy, enjoy it while you can, because one of these days there's not going to be any vote, but you know for a born, for a Christian, why would you vote for anybody but Jesus Christ? How could you do any better? Of course, there's going to be people uh, that are going to hate him, and uh, Satan's going to ultimately deceive him, but that's a that's another. That's another thought for another message. The term kingdom, while it appears only three times in the Gospel of John, it appears 116 times in the synoptic Gospels. If you're not familiar with synoptic Gospels, uh, the term synoptic, it's kind of like the word similar or synonymous. Matthew Mark, and Luke are very similar. They're synonymous, so to speak, whereas John is very different than the other three. 116 times, the term kingdom of heaven appears 32 times in the book of Matthew. And I'd like to remind you that Matthew's gospel starts out by tracing Christ's lineage through David the king. Luke's gospel starts out by tracing his lineage back to Adam. In Luke, he's the son of man, but in Matthew, he is the king, and the focus is on the king and his kingdom. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not the church, nor does it take place in heaven. It is heaven ruling on earth. It is a kingdom, quote, of heaven. Once again, we have to set titles aside and we have to focus on what does the term mean. It is a kingdom that is of heaven. It came from heaven. It's of heaven here on this earth. And descriptions always take precedence over titles. It didn't begin with Christ. (laughs) Now that will throw some traditionalists into a tailspin. The kingdom did not begin with Christ, it will be restored by Christ. It is visible, physical, and it has to do with Israel. Jesus, and these are red letters in my Bible, Matthew eleven twelve, 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Roman occupation, how that Rome had come in and taken the kingdom of heaven by force. And by the way, the kingdom did not begin with Saul and David. It began when Israel became a nation, when God brought them out of Egypt. They became nationally a kingdom. Remember when... The, the children of Israel said to Samuel, "Make us a king." And God said, "They're not—they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because God was ruling and reigning over Israel. Now, God was doing a great job in ruling. They were doing a really lousy job of following." You read the book of judges and every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. So the kingdom of heaven continued but when John the Baptist showed up the kingdom of heaven had been suffering violence and had been taken by force. Now, let me give you some connecting puzzle pieces in uh, in this dispensational um uh, outline. And uh, go to Hebrews chapter number 4. And and by the way, if if you don't get these edge pieces, if you reject these edge pieces, then the book of Hebrews is going to be real confusing. You're not going to know what to do with it. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to spiritualize it. You're going to have to run to the Greek to try to explain, well, it says this, but it should have been... You're going to have to do all kinds of two-stepping to try to get around what much of the book of Hebrews is saying. Now, I'm not saying that the book of Hebrews doesn't contain church age doctrine. Hey, I believe the blood of Jesus Christ as I read about it in Hebrews. Hey, that applies to us. I believe in the priesthood of Christ. I believe in a lot of those things. But doctrinally speaking, there are some things in the book of Hebrews that are specifically talking about the kingdom Hebrews 4 and verse number 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us, entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Now, if you were to back up and read the previous chapter... You know what it's talking about? It's talking about Israel in the wilderness. They had a gospel. It wasn't the same gospel that Paul is revealing as a mystery. The term gospel means good news. And Israel had a message of good news about a land that floweth with milk and honey. They had the good news that God was going to make of them a nation as the multitude of the sands of the sea and the stars of heaven. And so this gospel was preached to them, the children of Israel, in the wilderness, and it was preached by Joshua. We'll see this here in just a minute. And it's being preached again here in the book of Hebrews as it was being preached in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It says that the gospel preached, uh, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You know, the children of Israel, they did not have faith. They didn't believe and they didn't trust the message or the messengers. Now skip down to verse number 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. That's Israel. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest... All right, time out. Jesus gave them rest. What's that talking about? Well, here's something that if you are not a Bible student, you might miss something that's really important here. This Jesus is not talking about the Jesus we've been talking about all morning. The term Jesus in the Greek is the same as the Hebrew Joshua, all right? Joshua was the one that led Israel into the promised land. This Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Watch this. Verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. If you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you've got a big problem here in Hebrews chapter number 4, as well as several other chapters in Hebrews. What about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." Hey, if you are laboring for your salvation, then you are going to miss that salvation. It is by, it is by, gra- um, by f- grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing for us. But I want you to see that if you study this closely, this rest that is being spoken of is not talking about salvation. It's not talking about us going to heaven. It's talking about Israel going into that millennial thousand-year kingdom in which Jesus is going to be their king and the king of the whole world. That is the gospel of the kingdom, and it is being reintroduced in the book of Hebrews after the Jew had rejected it during the times of the early apostles. In conclusion, conclusion for this message anyways, we still have a long ways to go in laying out this doctrinal puzzle, I guess we call it. In conclusion, I want you to see what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's not talking about the kingdom of heaven, this thousand year reign. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And listen, when we are born again, we are born into the kingdom of God. We come into this world, we are born into the kingdom of Satan, by the way. And we are children of the devil. That's why we act sinful. That's why we do the things that we do. Not very flattering, but it's the way that it is. It's that sin nature. We have to be born again. Something has to be changed and regenerated inside of us spiritually. And that new birth comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus told this to Nicodemus, but notice how... What a contrast that is from what Jesus told the rich young ruler. A total contrast. The gospel of John is a record of the last six months of Jesus and his ministry. I mean, the, the, the other gospels are basically a three and a half year period. His entire earthly ministry from the time that he was baptized to the, the, the resurrection Uh, the, The other three Gospels cover that whole span, but John focuses on the last six months of Jesus' life. I also want you to notice that Jesus is speaking to an individual, not a group of people. And by the way, I don't know if this is significant or not, but the Bible gives us record that after the resurrection, Nicodemus was indeed alive. Rich young ruler we find no other mention of Him. The reality of it is, is for Nicodemus to get born again right then and right there, it would not have been possible because Jesus had not yet died on the cross. Once again, wasn't patronizing, it wasn't word games or playing tricks on Nicodemus, it was simply Jesus revealing the truth that Nicodemus needed to know. And it's the truth that you and I need to know. This is the same message that continues into this dispensation and the same message that applies to each of us as individuals. The same message that applied to Nicodemus is the same message that applies to you and I today. I mean, this is crystal clear Is It is without any room for argument. Ye must be born again. There comes a time where we have to set aside the things that we don't fully understand. We have to take the things that are maybe obscure or a little bit too complicated or complex and we just haven't got it all fit together. And we just need to set that aside and focus on what we do know and particularly focus on what applies to us today. And the message, ye must be born again, is dead center bullseye of what every single one of us need to hear, and more importantly, what every single one of us need to do. This kingdom of God, it is a spiritual kingdom, and it is a spiritual birth. You can receive it by repentance and faith in Christ. And that faith in Christ means faith in his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's how you and I get saved. Aren't you glad that Jesus has provided us a way by the grace of God? Not of works. It's not complicated. I'm glad that I don't fall under the category of that rich young ruler, but I fall under the category of Nicodemus, I must be born again and I'm so glad that as a little boy I heard the gospel message and the Holy Spirit touched my heart and drew me and convicted me and by the grace of God I bowed and received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. If you're not saved, don't leave this building without knowing that you've been born again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's talk to the Lord. I'd like to before we pray, I'd like to ask you a question, and it's a real simple question. If you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have been born again, would you raise your hand as a testimony? No one else is looking. Yes, preacher, I know that I've been born again. All right, you can put your hands down. Praise the Lord. That was as many hands as I could see, but perhaps maybe there's someone here this morning that you've never been saved, and um, I'd like to pray for you. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to get that taken care of before you leave. If you say, Preacher, I'm not 100% sure that I've been born again. Would you slip your hand up? Once again, no one else is looking. Livestream can't see this. This is just me, you, and God. Anyone? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. All right, just in case that someone, maybe you're not saved, but you didn't want to raise your hand I'd like to encourage you, right where you're at, simply bow your head, talk to God, say, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I want to turn from my sin, and I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. In Romans 10, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will call upon Him by faith, trusting and truly believing then He will save you right here and right now. You pray that prayer while I pray in conclusion of this service. Father, thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for revealing it to us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in our life. And, Lord, what a joy it is to be saved and to know that we have not only an escape from hell, but that our sins and and the the enmity between us and you have been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that you'd help each and every one of your people to absorb the Bible doctrine that we've presented here today, and uh, God, help us to be faithful students, workmen, rightly dividing the word of truth. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.